0: Let's Talk EMDR podcast, brought to you by the EMDR International Association, or EMDRIA. I am your host, Kim Howard. July is BIPOC Mental Health Month. BIPOC stands for Black Indigenous People of Color. In this episode, we are discussing how EMDR therapy can help indigenous people. Today's guest is EMDR therapist, Shelley Spearchief. From Alberta, Canada. Shelly is a First Nations Dakota woman with extensive experience working with Indigenous populations. Let's get started. July is BIPOC Mental Health Month. Today we are speaking with an EMDR therapist who specializes in treating Indigenous populations. Thank you, Shelly Spearchief, for being here today. We are so happy that you said yes. Mm-hmm. Thank you. So I'm going to start by asking uh, if you could tell us about your journey to becoming an EMDR therapist and your experience using EMDR therapy with Indigenous populations.
1: My journey about being an EMDR therapist, I was thinking back on that. In the late 80s, I would say mid 80s to early 90s, I was introduced to EMDR and it was kind of considered like a hocus pocus type treatment. And I was surprised by that because the first time I had seen somebody doing it, it looked very close to the way we do doctoring amongst our people with the bilateral stem. So I was curious. And at that time, you could actually take a workshop on it uh, without all the Andrea requirements. And, and so I went and sat in on a workshop and I seen so many familiarities and then went over to Browning, uh, the late Buster Yellow Kidneys camp. And he had gone to university in the States and had become a lawyer and then had returned. And I recalled meeting uh, Francine at that time and met her at his camp. So whether they were colleagues, I will never know. But that was my journey. But I did not know who she was or that she was the EMDR lady or none of that stuff, Um, nor did she know who we were. Um, We were there for ceremony and doctoring. So from there, I kind of forgot about EMDR for a while because I did it my way. (laughs) We did the doctoring and I just forgot about it. And in later years, it was a friend who told me that uh, she had experienced a very traumatic event, a rape that had triggered earlier memories for her. And she went to a good friend who has passed away since and had EMDR with her. And I said, EMDR. And I said, that sounds familiar. And then she told me eye movement desensitization reprocessing. And I said, oh, wow, I remember that. I said, I I took a workshop on that many, many moons ago. So I was curious. So I knew this lady and I thought, geez, you never told me that you did EMDR. So we got talking. And at that time, I had an individual struggling with residential school trauma and was relapsing. So I asked her, if I brought this individual, could I sit in with you and observe what you're going to do to help this individual? And there was some challenges. There were some big challenges because of the cultural differences and the language barriers. So I was able to help her as she was doing the therapy, I could adapt as I was sitting there with her. And we went on a journey of helping this individual and we did about 20 sessions together and it was life-changing for this individual. They described it for the first time as having some peace and feeling like the event was 75 feet away instead of always right up in front of them. So that was extremely important. And then I knew then that I'm going to continue this journey with EMDR.
0: What a victory that was for a patient and a client and for the therapist to have that happen. I, I'm in charge of all our social media accounts and I get feedback from people who regularly tell me that EMDR saved their life or made a huge difference in their life to help them deal with their trauma. And so it's really rewarding to work for an organization comprised of caregivers and, and people who help other people. You know, what a, what a beautiful calling that is. You know, what a beautiful career path that, that can be someone like you. And I, I'm so glad that there are people like you out there who do this work every day. So thank you.
1: Thank you. We don't get much acknowledgement. So it's nice to
0: hear. Well, that. I think, I think it's amazing. And from a society standpoint, it's still kind of taboo to talk about, right? Mm-hmm. But more and more people are coming out and, and saying, hey, I'm struggling. You know, I have these issues. And, and so this helps somebody else recognize that they might have an issue and help them seek help to, to live the life they want to live. And hey, my testimony will help. So be it. It's a good thing. I don't think it's, it's a bad thing to talk about.
1: One of the biggest challenges actually for our people is that taboo, mental health taboo. And there's a group of people that, a younger group that would say, okay, I'll go to a counselor and I'll talk to a counselor, but they don't feel validated often because of the um, barriers in cultural understanding. Then there's an older group of people who suffer in silence due to residential school history. Some have been harmed that they don't want to go the traditional way and sit without elders and get doctored because when those elders were younger, they might have done some crazy things. So they hold on to those memories, not realizing that they might have healed and moved on. So then they don't get help. And, th- and that group often gets lost and they're really suffering in silence because of what happened to them. And when they can come in and, and do this type of treatment, it's just life changing for them. The stressors that come off their body and even changes illness because all the somatic illnesses that comes along with complex, complicated trauma.
0: Yeah, that's, I feel like you hit the nail on the head in terms of generations. I think that people like my my parents, both of my parents are deceased, but my father was rear army and he was in Vietnam for two tours. And that's just not what you did. Like you didn't come back from the war and go talk to a counselor and you just came back from the war and you just went back to your job and did what you were supposed to do. And and he would never have thought about talking to somebody about his feelings or something traumatic that he had seen during his two tours and, and. and that has changed for the better because, you know, there's that saying that war is hell. And so when you see atrocities happen, even if they don't happen to you, you still carry that around in your memory. And so if you're not seeking help to help filter that and process it, then you're just carrying around all that horrific trauma that happened to you that, that you saw. And and it just makes you so unhealthy and unhappy. And, you know, and it's good that the younger generation is more open to that. So I and I certainly do understand the mistrust of anybody in the medical community. That has happened in a lot of minority cultures, you know, where people were experimented on and they weren't told about it, or um, mm-hmm. they they are treated less than your pain tolerance is higher because of who you are. So we're not gonna give you the drugs that you might need to help dull your pain. And and so I certainly do understand that lack of trust in the medical community. So and
1: the toxic shame. Often native people are shamed for what happened to them. So if you were sexually assaulted or parents that are really struggling with addictions, abject poverty, all the challenges that we face in First Nation, Métis, Inuit communities. And that shame is what drives you into numbing yourself, escaping suicide, all those different challenges. Even, you know, the way they, today, one of the biggest shames is what young parents are doing to their children. They'll shame them into not having relationships with grandparents because grandparents may be not giving them their own way. This, of that hand system where, you know, give me the money and then you have a relationship, um, not having purpose. So shame is one of the biggest challenges in working with people from the residential heir to the boarding school heir to the heir of children's services to parents who've lost cultural identity to parents who are trying to find themselves and to hurt people like very hurt people um, and hurt people hurt others. Right. And nice. what's nice with EMDR is that when somebody is sitting in front of you and they have a experience that shame they actually don't have to tell you the story it's in their eyes it's in their knowingness so they just have to think about it and the emotions show up and you can process that with them and it's life-changing for them you know it it, it really is and then eventually I think most of my clients get so comfortable once they realize there is nothing to be ashamed about they do start sharing sometimes much
0: (laughs) Hold on, let's work on this first and we'll get to the others later.
1: Yeah, there's a lot of that. <laughs> <laughs> they're, like, they're like race horses after that. They just want to go. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's
0: good, though means they're comfortable. With yeah. <laughs> what is your favorite part of working with this group?
1: That was a tricky question because I thought about it. Well, I'm First Nations, right? And, and I'm comfortable working within my own population. I'm part of that history. I'm a survivor and I've overcame so that they know when they come to me, they know I already have that awareness and a huge part of the understanding. And I've also had to overcome the challenges so they don't feel like they have to come in and educate me. And I think that's one of the nicest parts for the client. But also for myself, I've been in that position uh, even with good friends where they're not part of the culture and I have to educate all the time and that can be exhausting. And then um, the fragility that shows up, you know, the white fragility that can show up. And then sometimes it almost becomes like it's your burden basket when they feel that way and shouldn't be that way. That's what clients don't have to do when they come to me is feel like it's their burden basket anymore, they can actually share and know that I understand and it doesn't matter what they say. And I think the humor we can have, we, we it's not all tears and pain, you know, there's laughter, there's a celebration, there's healing, and I can adapt it to like adapting for people that makes a big
0: difference. A great segue to my next question, which is what successes have you seen regarding EMDR therapy?
1: Oh, like the one I originally had shared, but I wasn't administering the EMDR was uh, my friend and also a individual that was a residential school survivor. Uh, Huge successes, watching how that changed their life. And I've seen it with elders. I've worked with a lot of elders who have been carrying that pain well into their late 60s and 70s and allowing them to finally have some peace. There's nothing greater than finally feeling peace. And it might be hard for people to understand, but if you're always on alarm and you feel like you always got to defend yourself, peace is really important. And you can see it in their face suddenly. The lines soften, the eyes are dancing, and it's a wonderful feeling to see that happen for them. Uh, young, Young people who have experienced lots of racism, when they can finally process that and realize it's not about them, that's extremely important. Because then why should they give up on life because it's not their problem. It's that person's problem. So many different successes, right? Some people, um, I deal with a very complex caseload, very complicated. A lot of my clients are with me longer term, lots of stabilization up front, lots of, you know, practicing a little bit of stepping into the activation and stepping out and really making sure we have containment. And then we start processing. A lot of times, sometimes we just move into a with um, EMD versus going bull throttle, and other times we can, but it's hard to measure success because it really doesn't exist in our culture. So we say, is it good? Yes, so is very good. Are
0: there any myths you would like to bust about EMDR therapy with generational trauma?
1: (laughs) Yeah, actually, that's a good one. I had that asked, I was helping to coach at a training just last week. And there was somebody who asked a question and said that they were told that EMDR, uh, indigenous people aren't suitable for EMDR. And I thought that was interesting. So that's a huge myth because as I had started out, everything we do, as Indigenous people, has a bilateral stem in ceremony. So whether it's drumming, whether it's your heartbeat, whether it's walking, whether it's dancing, whether, you know, we're doctoring with our eagle wings, everything we've always done from the beginning of time has been about being in the present, letting it go and walking on, um, not holding on to past and letting it out of our, our system. So that's one big major myth that I'd like to bust because no EMDR is extremely supportive to our people. But it is also important to have clinicians that have taken the training and the understanding understanding of how to adapt EMDR for Native Americans. Indigenous, First Nation, Métis, Inuit people knowing their cultural frame of reference and how they do things and not painting everyone with the same paintbrush because everybody is unique in our cultures straight across Turtle Island, which is North America. So that's really important. Another one is dissociation. They say that we're too dissociative to work with. We've harnessed dissociation from the war camp days. That was a very challenging time prior to college and when uh, exposure, you know, to the Europeans coming into Turtle Island. That was a very uh, difficult, challenging time. But we always had ceremony, a bilateral stem again. We always danced. We always prepared. We always had ceremony, doctoring that helped us transform into another part of ourselves so we could do what we needed to do to survive. Then when we were done, we came back into that ceremony. And again, bilateral stem taking place, transformation back into our authentic selves so we could be present and supportive within our camps. So dissociation, we probably harnessed that one. So are, are we structurally dissociated? Yes, in a very good way. So we're not hard to work with. It's actually great right up our, our ways of knowing. If a clinician can understand and have taken some training some skills worked with an elder some knowledge keepers do some consultations they're going to be fine they're going to be able to support the people in a really good way
0: that's good that's an interesting comment or question that that person had in that training I'm always surprised when I hear things like that whether it's related to EMDR therapy or not you know when I hear people say things like that I'm like what why why would anyone say that or why would anyone think that or why would anyone spread that information, that disinformation? You know, it, it doesn't make any any sense to me, but um, I'm not in charge of the world. So, you know, I <laughs> okay. can't fix everybody. So it's not my job. But, You'd you know, like to. <laughs> I know. I know. Right. So <laughs>
1: oh, many strange comments I've had over the years?
0: <laughs> I, <laughs> I bet, could write I bet you could write a book about that. Yeah,
1: <laughs> I actually am. <laughs>
0: <Yeah>. <laughs> That's great. I love it. I love it. Are there any specific complexities or difficulties using EMDR therapy with Indigenous people? I think you've alluded to the fact that there's not that, you know, but there might be situations where you're like, oh, yeah, here's here's something that you need to know. If you approach the therapy,
1: the, the therapeutic treatment, and it really does depend on the client sitting in front of you. So if you have somebody that's deeply involved in their traditional ways and their practices, of their clan group, their tribe, their community. Then it's really important to offer those type of resources where if they want an elder with them, if you want to meet with an elder first and how the elder can be supportive in the work that you're doing. Understand the language barriers, understand the ways of knowing because if you're using a very standard westernized, you know, English, it may not work. Because even though most of our people speak English, they might not be thinking English first. So it's really important. So sometimes then you get somebody that has to kind of process what are you saying and what does that mean? So sometimes if you're using a higher educational language, they're not going to understand what you're saying. You have to be grassroots and it's really important. And that's hard for a lot of therapists, especially when they're educated with doctors or it's anything yeah, they seem to get the grassroot language and you have to come down to the roots and even if you say somatic you know they're going to look at you and go somatic you know that's where you want to explain what that felt sense in the body. What are you noticing? And educate on that a little bit. Are they noticing in their body? Extremely important. Really understanding that there are so many Native tribes across Turtle Island, and we're not all the same. We have a lot of similarities. We're not the same, and it's important to honor that. Then you get the acculturated ones that have lived more in dominant culture and have been educated in dominant culture and know their roots. So they might Might be able to do the eight standard protocol and go with that, right, and not have a problem. But then all of a sudden you get to the historical generational trauma, those ancestral knowledge, that DNA that you know beats within the heartbeat within you does not know dominant culture. So it's really important that you're also recognizing those old ways of knowing, and when you're accessing those parts of self, they're going to be in the old way. Of knowing, and that's really important. So people can get spooked by that when that happens, and they don't understand what's going on. And that goes back to the prior question that we've harnessed dissociation in many ways. So there's parts of self that are still warriors. There's parts of self that might be the old doctors, the, you know, the healers of the unity, the educators. So it's really important to know that when you're working with the
0: people. Great information and advice and things to keep in mind. Do you have a favorite free EMDR related resource that you would suggest either for the public and or for EMDR therapists? Free
1: resource, (laughs) not yet myself. I am publishing a book called Eagle Wings Lapping and it's coming out August, September, but it won't be a free resource, but it it will be out there. But I'm respectful of all the trainers and their material. And the one I really like using, I adapt everything. I really do because of. Our population, but is the Loving Eyes by Jim Knight. I really like that because with our people and the generational trauma and the hurts and the historical issues, sometimes being able to go within and go back there and see that child part of self and send that child through your eyes the wisdom, the knowledge that you have today, those loving eyes that they needed when they were little is powerful. And I've just seen so much healing in doing that. Um, I probably do that with all my clients at one point or another, that we go back there. And and even when we're dealing with grief, we able to go back there and, and look into your child's eyes, you know, see those child's eyes and send them those loving eyes um, with suicide, with opiates, everything. I still have that unconditional love for them and they will always be a part of you is extremely healing and that's one I really like and, and then I also like you know Laura Parnell's work where she's doing a generational trauma and the tapping in and that's powerful when she does it in group work and, and Sandra Paulson does the pre-verbal trauma when there are no words I just have so much respect for all of them to be honest
0: those are great suggestions and resources and, and I, I like hearing how EMDR therapists whether it's they've written for the magazine or they're on the podcast or they've written for the blog, I'd like to hear how they run their practice in a a way that gives you a sense of how they approach things, whether it's through music or dance or expressive arts or, you know, other resources and, and other ways to approach merging, you know, trauma-sensitive yoga, those kinds of things where you you integrate other approaches to therapy and you integrate it with the NDR and you you make it happen for the patient population that you're working with, right? It's really like that old phrase where you go to Burger King and you have your burger your way, right? So you go to therapy and the therapist really has to look at each client and say, okay, I have to customize my approach with this client based on who this person is, not who my last client was or who the next client is. And so I, I appreciate all of that effort and that work and that study that goes into managing that experience for that individual because not all women come to therapy with the same issues. So each woman has to be individualized. And so it's good that 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 you guys have the resources available to do that and that you're willing to share the information amongst yourselves so that people are educated so they can make their practices better for their clients, which is ultimately the outcome, right? Is to make the people who come to see you live a healthier life, live a more hopeful life, live the way that they want to live so that they can deal with all of their issues and, and just be, mm-hmm. be, you know, so.
1: That's very true. True and one of the things like I've really adapted is we've always call it eagle wings because the eagle is our relative and it's the one that flies highest and the far seeing and the one that can fly closest to crater um, and take our smoke up to crater. So our ceremonies, our pipe ceremonies. So one of the ones that I've always used, but even back in the late 80s, early 90s, when I first was exposed to EMDR, is I, I seen it like an eagle because we use eagle wings like a wing. Um, so one of the things I've done is I've done an adapted protocol using the eagle wings. And uh, hopefully that that's will be shared soon. I think EMDR Canada or Andrea has has it on the website where, where people can take that workshop if they chose to. Also, drumming is important. So just the other day, you know, I had somebody come in for an intense of a young girl um, with what happened to her. And we did drumming drumming it through. And that speaks to the heart, right? So when you're doing that bilateral stem with drumming, it's even more powerful than, you know, follow your fingers, which can be actually offensive. You got to be very careful in the uh, Native community because I like to close my hand, my fingers to my thumb, and it almost looks like the eagle then because when you're waving your hand in front of first responders, police officers, Native people, uh, people, People of color, when they've had bad experiences with people in authority and you're waving your hand in front of them, you're actually creating more of an alarm system because they think they're on threat. So I've always been aware of that and changed it. I've always changed it. And that's why drumming has been powerful. Doing the eagle wings has been powerful. You know, uh, using a different object to, you know, if you're going to do a bilateral, use a light bar, but don't use uh, red and blue. <laughs> Because what does that look like? Well, I, yeah, the police. Yes. Right. <laughs> yes. So and I and I've seen I've seen that happen. You don't and, want to get in trouble, right? And I'm yeah, like, wow, no, let's not use red and blue. I I like to use, you know, green, you know, green means go, go with that, right? So you want it to to be healing, and green's a very healing color. And
0: it's also green is also a color of the earth and the trees, which is absolutely perfect. That's that's yeah. those are good. <laughs> Those are really good insights, though. And I I don't think people would think about that. But, yeah, that's really, really, really good information, Shelly. <laughs> awesome. an, and it's an, a
1: real good way to find yeah. your client red and blue. <laughs>
0: yeah, yeah. Really good. I, I never would have thought about that until you mentioned it. I'm like, oh, yeah, you're right. That's very true.
1: I went, oh, they've really never had any problems with police officers. <laughs>
0: yeah. Which, which, hey, that's great for them. But, you know, that doesn't mean that your client has not experienced something. Yeah. Uh, Is there anything else you would like to add? I think for
1: anybody who's starting the EMDR journey and training, you can't go wrong. It's a really nice therapeutic approach to have in your toolbox. One of the things I'm always hearing when I'm doing coaching, I hope one day to be a trainer. I don't know if that's going to happen, but but, um, I hear all the time uh, new learners always saying things like they think they have to leave the tools they already have. Somehow they think that they don't use CBT anymore. They're not using somatic experience. And they're not using talk therapy. No, you're going to use everything you have plus EMDR. It's another really nice tool, treatment tool to have in your toolbox. And don't be afraid of it. Try it out. Use it. Consultation is important. You know, make sure you do consultation. Talk to people. Join a consultation group. Um, you can't go wrong you really can't go wrong and it's so adaptable you know you, you can change it in so many ways but still stick to that standard protocol it just adapted to your client so your client feels comfortable that's
0: great that's great you nailed it on the head thank right? you. this has been the let's talk EMDR podcast with our guest Shelly Spearchief visit www.emdria.org for more information about EMDR therapy or to use our Find an EMDR Therapist directory with more than 12,000 therapists available. Our award-winning blog, Focal Point, offers information on EMDR and is an open resource. Thank you for listening.